The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Hi, everyone. Please enjoy this sneak preview of Dunked On Prime here on the public podcast. I hope you'll consider subscribing to Dunked On Prime. We are having a special sale right now for yearly memberships. With the draft coming up, the mock-off season, of course, Game 7 of this series, which we will discuss exclusively on Dunked on Prime. The offseason itself, Summer League, where we're going to review every roster player's performance. This is the time to join Dunked on Prime. You can get every Hollinger and Duncan. You can get the writing of Dan Feldman, Seth Partnow. You can get Dan's writing in audio form as well, the Daily Dunks. So please check us out. Link is in the show notes, dunkedon.supportingcast.fm. Man, this is just incredible drama here. Do you take time out as Spo? I think I would push it up now because you can play the game again. with the, if I would push. I would two. push. Yeah. No, they are, oh, no, are going to push it up. 16.9. They get it into Jimmy. Two-point game. Tatum is on him. But you need to be ready to call the timeout if nothing's doing, too. Here's the screen. They're taking forever to get into it. Butler, double team. He's got Horford one-on-one. Is he going to go for the three? Trying to step back. Foul! I think it's a two. I think it's full with inside yeah, the arc. I think it's a two. And Butler, that is, man, is that a cheap foul that he just got. Well, you should challenge, as Missoula challenged this. He is going to challenge. See, yeah, he gets the arm in. Butler loses it. And he gets him with the body. Butler just felt the contact. Horford did not want to give up the three. Butler was setting up for the step back. And actually, that mishandled. I don't know, actually, like that might have been a double dribble on Butler, too. What a ridiculous game this has been. It is a three, Danny. Oh, it was back. Oh my god, if Missoula's challenge leads to it being a three-shot foul. They, they would have reviewed it anyway, yeah, though. You're right, they would have. Uh, yeah, it's an obvious foul. Horford has the arm forward. And the hand on the back. Yeah, I mean, that's it's about as foully as a foul gets. My god, Jimmy Butler. Yeah. Three free throws here. Down two. Can you imagine a higher pressure situation than this? Still 2.1 left. Still hope for Boston if he makes all three, but he's already missed two foul shots in the quarter. They've moved the time up to three now. And Jimmy Butler, a great career. These are now the biggest free throws of his career. They could send Miami to the NBA Finals with these free throws. There's the first. Back rim and down. This is the hardest one right now for the tie. 
unbelievable that that's how this could end. Second is good. Same spot. And now to take the lead. Boston led by 10 with four minutes remaining. A carbon copy. Also, why wouldn't you have all your rebounding personnel on right now? If you're Boston. Both teams. Or, or, yeah, both teams. Well, you don't want to commit a foul either. But So Butler, a third free throw to give Miami the lead. And it's good. Timeout Boston. And now, Season on the brink. Now, Boston, what do you try to run here? Certainly, you got to have some sort of a back cut action. Miami will have defensive personnel. They are almost certainly going to switch. You need to find something. So it's on. you. It's a fake. It's a fake screen. A non-contact screen. Getting something to the basket is the main thing here. And then Tatum pocketing it. If it's a jump shot, it should be Tatum. Yeah, surely it will be the play for Tatum, but maybe he can set a back screen first. But yeah, I think it is the non-contact now. But you don't really have time to get it into Tatum and have someone run over and do it. You really got to do this action pre-pass or with the pass. Yeah, basically. Now, I mean, maybe you start off probably with that same action that Jimmy Butler hit his shot against Milwaukee on. Have some? Maybe you have Jalen Brown doing that have whoever the smallest guy is guarding set that little screen and then your secondary option is Tatum coming off the screen but this is whatever you've got if you're Joe Missoula this is the time for it what a collapse by the Celtics they fouled so often Horford with two awful fouls but here it is. Let's see where is Tatum when they zoom out. White is going to be the inbounder. Tatum is now guarded by Butler. They've got Struess in. Martin protecting the rim. Tatum pops out. Struess takes that pass. Smart on the move. Just in and out. White tip. Does that count? I, I thought it was late, but we'll have to see it. Does that count? It is so close. They count it. They'll review it. Derek White, he's open here. Let's see it. It's out. It's out. It's going to be a game seven. Game seven. What a game. And Boston, Derek White goes to the glass. Miami's players don't entirely go to the glass, and that's a part of this. I cannot believe it. They play great defense. They take away the primary option to Tatum. Smart goes to the ball. He misses the three. He actually had the pass back to White. Open if he wanted it. And White kept going to the glass. One of the great plays in NBA history right there by Derek White, who bails out this Boston Celtics team. They were done. Two seconds left. But actually, that extra time that got put on the clock, that's what gave it to it. It ended up being three seconds. They needed every tenth. Look at this. Whitey just keeps going. Like, that shot is released with under two seconds left. And he got to the basket. It was, that shot was so close to going in, too. White got it. Game-winning basket. 
I cannot believe this game. He just got inside of Struess, and the reason Struess wasn't there is because he went off of White to take away the pass to Tatum. It was a pretty good effort to get back to him, but White was inside. Unreal. Well, we will see. We will see you on Monday night. Happy Memorial Day to some. Not to those in Miami. I'm sure you didn't want to see that, but we will be back. And of course, for those of you who subscribe on Dunk John Prime, you will hear us talk about it at length very soon. Unbelievable. One of the best finishes I've ever seen in my life. We'll talk to you guys on Dunk John Prime in a little bit here. Man, it is crazy to think that I've been working with Helix Sleep since 2015. And I think that's because my story with them seems to really resonate with listeners. If you've never heard it before, that was kind of the beginning of the direct-to-consumer boom. And there was another very prominent mattress company at that time that was trying to convince you that mattresses were one-size-fits-all. They found the one formula, the one mattress that was going to work for everyone. My then-girlfriend, now-wife... And I ordered that mattress. We ended up having to return it because, hey, guess what? Not everyone is the same. And then she did some more research and found Helix Sleep. We took their sleep quiz and we found a mattress that actually worked for us and our body types. And uh, Helix offers 20 unique mattresses. Everybody sleeps differently. And Helix mattresses are designed for specific sleep positions and field preferences. Hot or cold, side sleeper, back sleeper. So take that Helix sleep quiz. Find your perfect mattress in under two minutes and it's shipped straight to your door free of charge. It's no risk because you really need to sleep on the mattress in your own home. You're like, well, how should I order this if I can't sleep? Like, yeah, you're not going to learn anything by going to the mattress store and sleeping on the mattress where do I take my shoes off? Do I leave my shoes on? But then my feet kind of hang off the bed because I don't want to put my shoes on the bed. And is it weird that I'm laying here for more than 30 seconds? You can't tell anything under those circumstances. You might as well just order it, get it sent to your house, get that 100 night trial. They're 10 to 15 year warranty, depending on the model. And there's never been a better time to try a Helix Sleep mattress because they are offering 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash capspace. Easy to slash capspace. We talk about all the time here on the program. That's helixsleep.com slash capspace. This is their best offer yet. I can attest to that since I've been working with them for nine years. And it won't last long with Helix. Better sleep starts now. Don't forget that slash capspace URL to let them know that you came from us. Man, I just love American Giant. Just an amazing clothing company. I was reminded again of how much I love it when I drove from California to Montana over the All-Star break. And you know what it's like when you're on a long road trip and it's cold, particularly when it starts off warm in the Bay and then we get into some really cold areas. You're like, well, I don't want to wear like my jacket in the car, but then I get out to fill gas. I'm going to be freezing. But the American Giant hoodie was perfect because despite being made out of a nice heavy material that'll keep you warm, it's not too hot as well. So I was able to wear it in the car, not be too hot, step out of the car and still be warm enough when I was filling up gas or going into a restaurant or something that I didn't feel like I needed my jacket, even when it was cold outside. These things are amazingly durable. I proposed to my wife wearing an American Giant hoodie in the Grand Canyon almost seven years ago. I still own that same hoodie. I still wear it constantly. And American Giant has since spread out into all sorts of other types of clothing, like their premium Slub Crew tee, the No BS High Rise Pant, the 
slim roughneck pant featured in giant magazine issue two every american giant piece is made in america and designed to last no exceptions and it provides year-round comfort so find a closet staple for every part of your spring days at american-giant.com and get 20 percent off your first order when you use that finger code cap space at checkout you remember we talk about cap space all the time here on the program that's 20 percent off your first order at american-giant.com don't forget that cap space code to let them know you came from us so pregame danny before we started our cast on playback i asked you how you felt about this game coming in how big of a game is this in nba history and pregame what was your feeling on that that it was significant but it wasn't quite like the you know let's say like the last games of that 2016 western conference finals or some of the other ones where you know know, the de facto nba finals like whoever wins this game wins the series and you think about the ripple effects of the franchise and everything else like that but a big game especially when you consider the history that was on the line and it more than lived up to whatever billing it had yeah i thought that this would be more perhaps memorable than significant if boston were to win obviously if miami had just blown them out in six it all would have been a historical footnote just like boston beating orlando in 2010 in this circumstance which was the only time we'd ever seen it before but that last play and you heard it on our intro here it was just absolutely crazy and i I guess let's actually wait to talk about that play uh, until the very end because you got a flavor for it on the intro i I think just going through this chronologically is the way to do it and so hitting on some of the big themes first uh, because there were such i mean boston it seemed like they had this game won like three or four times essentially and it was just there are so many weird things that were happening i mean just from the meat of the game what stuck out to you the most as we look back on it now some real ridiculous anomalies i mean one of those being miami's two-point shooting in the first half in particular where they were in the first half they were seven of 27 on shots around the basket which is completely so that's that's paint or restricted area that's paint or restricted area and then you pulled this stat that in the first half and then this actually i believe extended in the third quarter miami had a ton of offensive rebounds the celtics actually had more second chance points because they they scored uh, they, they were scoring on theirs whereas the heat were not i mean it was but miami was balancing that out with amazing shooting from three in the first three quarters they were 11 of 24 in the first half they were 9 of 15 whereas the celtics were 3 of 15 so yes the two-point finishing was bizarre was an almost i thought that boston was outplaying them and that miami was fortunate to only be down four and then you have the third quarter and things push out a little bit but it it was such a such a weird game for so many reasons i mean we can we'll talk about some of the other ones too yeah i just the the overall way in which both teams were scoring was so crazy with Miami attacking the paint, attacking the offensive glass. At one point, deep into the second half, Miami had taken 17 shot attempts on second chances. Boston had taken four, and Boston had more second chance points than Miami did. And uh, second chance points became pretty important (laughs) down the end uh, for Boston, even though Miami was getting so many more offensive rebounds. Now, some of the terrible paint shooting was Miami just missing some of these tips and it was so that skewed things a little and I thought Boston was doing a good job of packing the paint without fouling but 
it was just a, a insane difference with Miami threatening to set a league record. Like at one point they're shooting 24% for two. Again, this is like deep into the game at halftime at halftime. Yeah. Oh, that great. was halftime. Yeah. Yeah. And, and what was the, the stat about like the worst ever two point shooting in a game that they were threatening? Someone had, uh, I think Zach Cram had this, that it was, so the all time lowest two point percentage set in the shot clock era is 23%. And at halftime, the heat were at 24%. I mean, it was just, there's so many weird dichotomies in this game. There was Jason Tatum, 25 points at halftime 11 of 11 from the foul line just getting to the basket doing whatever he wanted against jimmy butler and jimmy butler was awful through large swaths of this game he was three of 19 deep into the fourth quarter and guys like caleb martin who again was 50 percent from three gabe vincent who was incredible on, on a sprained ankle it ended up playing 41 minutes when he couldn't play the previous game duncan robinson was such a strategic fulcrum for both teams uh, late in this game uh, as well in 20 minutes bam out of bio played 46 minutes butler played 47 man just <laughs> what an incredible game it was i boston finished up that 7 to 35 from three and miami outscored them from three by 21 points i don't know what what else was there i mean we can kind of just talk about how the game evolved strategically as it went through i suppose Let's begin with the starting lineups. And so Eric Spolstra made the two shifts that seemed necessary after game five, where Gabe Vincent, now that he was healthy enough to play, and he played 41 minutes in this contest. Yeah. He played 41, and Kevin Love not only did not start in this game, Caleb Martin took his place, Kevin Love did not play a second. And the only big that came off of Miami's bench was Cody Zeller, who played a whopping two minutes. They were outscored by seven points in those two minutes, and he never came back in. <laughs> yeah, it was... I mean, Boston started out amazingly well, and they hit their first four in the first quarter from mid-range, which was big. Jalen Brown had 10 in the first quarter, and Tatum hit a couple of really difficult mid-rangers as well in the second quarter. The Heat, as I predicted, did not go zone with Duncan Robinson and said they were in man-to-man when, when he was out there. With Zeller, they tried to put two on the ball. They just got so completely smoked out of that that they took him out there, that negative seven in two minutes you just mentioned. Boston's defense really was bothering Miami quite a bit on the ball. They were doing the same switching, just high high pressure, maybe not quite as high pressure as in game five, but they still weren't uh, allowing easy plays necessarily. Like they had all these times where like in the first probably five, six minutes of the game, Max Struess tried two pick and rolls, which then just led to either ISOs or bad shots and you know like Marcus Smart is on him and Max Struess is trying to run pick and roll we're like oh man that must mean that like Gabe Vincent can't do anything he was able to work his way into the game after that but Miami really was not getting great offense except Boston was having like a lot of miscommunications with their switching and that was a big problem for for them Miami got uh, they only had two three-pointers late in the first and then they got five three-pointers over the next few minutes off of just Boston miscommunications Caleb Martin got open for a couple of corner threes that way one time when he just ran to the other side of the floor and Derek White didn't follow him and then another one where Rob Williams probably 
overhelped and gave up a corner three and it was i thought the heat were to the extent they found anything it was i'm not sure how intentional this was but it was kind of finding guys as boston was doing their switching because they like to keep their bigger guys closer to the baseline and so when guys would exchange then they would sort of hand them off and like right as they're handing them off a lot of times the heat were able to find guys open for threes duncan robinson was caused a ton of miscommunications throughout the entire game so uh Miami was like just barely hanging on and they trailed 54-44 late in the second quarter. The other thing we got to talk about too is the Butler-Tatum matchup. For sure. That's exactly where I wanted to go. And in the early going, we were seeing those base alignments of, and there was switching and plenty of other things, but it was the intention was Butler guarding Tatum, Tatum guarding Butler, and Jason Tatum completely outclassed Jimmy Butler during that time. And he was the centerpiece of the Celtics dominating the heat with dribble penetration. They were getting by their man and Miami, especially if Bam is out on the perimeter, they don't have a lot of help defense. And particularly with Tatum because Miami's second best help defender is Jimmy Butler. So if you get past one and the other one might not be there or he might be there, there were some good finishes around Bam as well, particularly in a game where Haywood Highsmith didn't play. Like there just weren't that many other defenders for the Heat that could clean anything up. And so they were just doing a parade to the basket. You know, in the in the first half, Boston was 12 of 19 in the paint. And you could add in another 16 free throws, which were really earned, you know, 11 for Tatum just during the first half. Yeah, they fouled him on a three, but the rest of them were were attacking the basket. So then one of the first huge tactical adjustments within the game came from Eric Spolstra, where I believe it was late in the first half. You can correct me if yep. I'm wrong. Yep. They switched the primary matchup on Tatum and it went to Caleb Martin. And there were two reasons primarily for that. One was Caleb Martin did a better job guarding Jason Tatum, which bore out over the remainder of the game. The second being, as I mentioned earlier, taking Butler out of that action meant that he could potentially get involved in other things. And it's not necessarily like a steal. I mean, remember, he's had some ridiculous steal games in the series. It was more just being a body that was there, making passes harder, making shots harder, and giving Bam Adebayo a little bit more latitude. And overall, I thought that adjustment worked really well for Miami. Yeah, Tatum, he lost steam late in the first and then really just did not have a good second half at all. He only had six points in the second half and and four of those were on free throws i think he had one field goal in the second half and that was a a huge difference in the game as well and then jalen brown got in foul trouble also still ended up playing 39 minutes but that was a, a walk in the park for some of the guys in this game frankly and so he sat with three what did you make of the decision by missoula to sit him with three then sit him by four in early in the third generally speaking I think coaches are, I mean, not as extreme as college coaches, but a lot of pro coaches are too conservative dealing with foul trouble. There is an exception to that, though, and that for me are players is player when a player is not adept at managing foul trouble. And I think of Jalen Brown as one of those players on both ends of the floor where I, his I believe that was his fourth foul was a total unnecessary cheapy on Gabe Vincent. Like he was, you know, he was it, it was a foul that wouldn't be a big deal, except that you're an important player who was in foul trouble at the time. And he also is a very aggressive driver, can get called for for charges. And that, of course, had a a factor at a different point as well. And so to me, you need to be more conservative when you can't trust the player to do it themselves. 
And particularly because Brown is an aggressive driver, I do think that he continued to have a really good passing game. He had three assists, but again, was just, we didn't see just some of those like crazy aggressive drives from him. And if we did, he would usually pass out of it, but you still didn't want to be in a situation where he is going to pick up a charge. Uh, Miami is a very charge heavy team. So I think that was probably the right call. And you'd say, oh, well, he finished with four fouls, but yeah, that's he oh, still played. He, he, only, he only finished with four fouls by the skin of his teeth. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that, that's true. We'll talk some about the refereeing uh, at some point. Ah, the sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. Anyone who's seen our YouTube videos knows that I don't wear formal stuff all the time. So when it's time to dress up rather than dress down, I highly recommend Inochino. They were the official outfitter of my wedding. I got my tux from there. All my groomsmen got their sport jackets from there as well. I felt really good about having them be the outfitter of my wedding because all my groomsmen were going to get stuff that they could continue to wear that fit them perfectly. Because when you go somewhere else, you're not going to get something that's made for you. So why not measure yourself in 10 minutes or visit a showroom rather than feeling like you're wearing somebody else's suit that they tried and failed to tailor for you. And not only does Indochino have the suits that made them famous, but now they've got everything. Blazers, pants, women's wear, outerwear, designed and made for you. Hundreds of high quality fabrics to choose from. European wools, linen, cottons, tons of colors, tons of patterns you can customize. Things like the lapel, the vents, the pockets. And you'll get a piece that is personalized for you in fit and style. Level up your game with Indochino. Go to Indochino.com. Use the code CAPSPACE. Use the CAPSPACE. We talk about all the time here on the program. You get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's 10% off at Indochino. I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O. Indochino.com. And don't forget that CAPSPACE code to let them know that you came from us. Yeah, so the fourth quarter, or the third quarter, when Miami is at their nadir, they're 8-25 to at the rim, and 1-15 of 15 from floater range, and that's basically Bam and Jimmy range. And Bam, you know, at one point those guys were a combined 7 out of 35 from the field. Both of them had 7 offensive rebounds in the game, so part of that, again, was were those tips. But those short-range floaters that they're 1 out of 15 on, you know, you, you can't really point to anyone uh, other than them and just not making those shots. Uh, so Miami did do a lot more switching with Bam. Part of why Boston was able to get penetration w- with Tatum early on was that Bam was switched out on the perimeter a-, a fair amount also. Tatum, for his part, was actually really dominating Butler too defensively. And uh, Derek White was also fantastic uh, on Butler. Butler was 0 for 6 uh, attacking White. And I guess we could, do you want to talk about the refereeing now? What were your thoughts on it? They definitely let them play in the first half. And broadly speaking, I support that. I mean, if it's a foul, you should should still keep in mind. But if it's, you know, the, if it's the marginal calls and the most important element is consistency. If something isn't a foul on one possession, it isn't a foul on the next. And I thought within the first half as a single entity, I thought they did a reasonably good job there. It was nice that other than Jalen Brown, nobody was in 
particular foul trouble, which is always nice because that means the best players can play more. They were letting a lot of contact go, but they were doing it for both teams. And then there was this real rough patch in the third quarter in particular, where not only were they calling a lot, but they were making bizarre calls. Um, like there was the the Jimmy Butler play where he, you know, the way the league calls this is that he, you know, that if you end up passing off of it, that it's not a shooting foul, but it obviously would have been a shooting foul if like if Horford hadn't hadn't it would have been a shot if Horford hadn't fouled him. And then there was the weird palming call on Jason Tatum that probably that was, an was awful call, by the way. Yeah, our guy. And, uh, did we ever figure out who actually made that call? I don't. I don't know who did. Because that, like, he he only had his hand on the side, and like what they were trying to say was like because he was working in some screening action up top. And I think someone slipped out of it. And so he was probably like thinking about making a pass, but he never actually puts his hand on the ball. Like it kind of rests in his hand, but he's not underneath it. And I, I thought that was a, uh, a really bad call like it, i understood where it's coming from it's like oh you're holding the ball here for longer because you're trying to see whether this guy's going to come open and you can throw a pass before you got a dribble again but you don't want to pick up your dribble but he didn't actually put his hand under the ball so it didn't matter and in some ways it culminated with the only replay review no sorry i was gonna say the only replay review it was not the only but the only one that happened in the first three quarters where it was a massive call Jalen Brown is posting up on Caleb, Caleb Martin. Martin. Yeah. Posting up on Caleb Martin. And so it's um, early in the third quarter. It was like the second or third possession of the third quarter. Yeah. And remember, Jalen Brown had been in foul trouble a lot of the first half. And what happens on the play is Jalen Brown on the post up hooks Caleb Martin and then kind of gets around him. And then while still kind of engaged in that, they call a foul on Caleb Martin, which Eric's bolster challenges. And it led to our an extended conversation for us of, well, is the hook that Jalen Brown did sufficiently proximate to the other part where they can review all of this or is it just the other part yeah proximate and- is the the verbiage there uh, that they can determine whether a different file proximate that means close to by the way for you non-lawyers to the called file should have been called and by the way the box score does not have the official they called the discontinued dribble i think since it's not a foul they don't have to look at it um they don't have to list it and so what they so they so spolster challenges it and he's very low on timeouts because of some of the things that went wrong for miami in the first half he was calling timeouts pretty aggressively and so it's a big challenge and somehow the referees ended up on a what i consider a completely nonsensical ruling because they it it appears from what at least from what we could tell from the from the broadcast and from the explanation that they didn't rule that they just ruled it as a no call they ruled it as a no call but they didn't rule it as a no call because as far as i could tell from because that brown's hook wasn't close enough to review it was that it wasn't a foul which is completely impossible like yeah that was insane to me i never see that not called a foul and like if you're a post player once the guy puts his arm like wraps around you like that like you can't move like it should of course it should be a foul so i completely would understand if they're like oh that was too that was outside of the scope like i proximate is a nebulous term in this context but to to argue what they did was extremely frustrating for me and so then what it ends up as is it's it's no foul and um so that that did was good for martin who had been dealing with some foul trouble as well very good for jalen brown because he didn't get his fourth and on the ensuing possession well here here quickly let me 
let me uh i'll add a little more to this proximate debate here okay before we move on the factors that will be considered in determining whether a prior uncalled file is proximate to the called file include one whether the players involved in the uncalled file are the same or different players than the ones involved in the called file under review okay it is the same players the distance between the uncalled file and the file under review is pretty damn close still the same guys and the time elapsed i mean it's so they made the right call that it could be reviewed it was just it was insane to me that that wasn't a foul and like i thought it was a lovely challenge by spolstra to put a fourth on jalen braun wipe out a potential and one as well keep a foul off of caleb martin which ended up being important down the end but uh i don't know if what his foul situation was right at that exact time so yeah it was just i mean i guess he he saved the and one for his teams they did get rewarded with a point but it should have wiped off that uh Uh, that was that that was caleb martin's third that came off he had two in the first So yeah, you're gonna move on to the next play then. I'm now trying to remember what the next play was. You can help me out. Well, yeah, wasn't the wasn't the next trip down the, the turnover? I don't think anything in particular happened on the next play. It was Oh uh, no, that was that was late. That was at the beginning of the fourth. Sorry, I was crossing up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, the, I mean that was the other weird really weird play that happened also. Uh and there are also just some like crazy plays that happened. This one, like Al Horford about to turn 37, just blocking Bam out of bio's dunk. And he also blocked a jumper of his as well. Uh, although well, he, that, uh, that block yeah. dunk was also, I believe that was off of the really bizarre turnover where like Horford is just in the action and Kyle Lowry somehow pops the ball out. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah, he got an, an offensive rebound. He passed it to Bam and Horford made up for losing the rebound by just stuffing Bam's attempt to dunk on him. Lowry, A, he was meaningfully better than game five, which is faint praise, but also like he did a lot better. Had a couple of really important plays, one of which was he was functionally trapped on the baseline and somehow finds a cutting Duncan Robinson late shot clock. Looks like he's going to fall out of bounds, get two points there in the stretch where Miami couldn't get two points to save their life. And then yeah, that was one of the best passes I've ever seen in that situation with him just stuck under the basket. He was being guarded by, I think it was Horford, like a, like someone who just, he had no chance of getting the shot up and Robinson just barely cut in front of white. Like it had to be a perfect pass. It was really, Oh, uh, I, I remember a third out. one. So the second yeah. one was Robert, Williams in the backcourt goes for an ill-advised steal and Kyle Lowry takes the contact and draws two free throws that was a a bad a bad one and then he also had the super weird like hook shot type thing that went in which was another one of those Miami can't get it to and I think you yelled out what happened oh that's the one they get Um, yeah yeah exactly it's like they can't make a single shot in the lane and he like I think it was over I can't remember who it was on. Maybe it was, it was Horford on Horford or Rob Williams, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, it was somebody, I think it was, it might have been Braun actually, because I think Braun, it was someone who was kind of in foul trouble. But uh, I mean, that carry though, if we shift to the fourth quarter now, ended up being a huge play. Celtics are still up four. Heat are just like slowly, slowly creeping back. Boston's up five at halftime. They go on a nice run, 7-0 in about a minute and a half to push it to double digits. They're still up seven at the start of the fourth. They bring in Duncan Robinson, who I believe had not played in the second half to that point. Spo does not rest Butler and Bam. Tatum gets like, you know, one minute rest. In the first half, I think Butler got one minute of rest and Tatum got two. And yeah, Duncan Robinson really was just a, a huge factor. He gets that layup off the Lowry assist under the basket after white gets a three then lowry gets that ridiculous hook to cut it to four then the tatum 
carry, which shouldn't have been a carry. And then at the very end of the clock, no, wait, because Robinson hits two threes in the fourth. Well, so the discontinued dribble, then um, Robinson makes a three off of that. And then um, another, uh, Jalen Brown missed the three. I thought it was, a, if memory serves, it was a reasonable shot. Butler gets a tip in, and then that gives Miami their first lead in a long time. I think it was since since the first quarter. Yeah, it was uh, their last lead had been 11 to 9. And then and then you have this ridiculous sequence where Boston. So they're down one. They go on a 16 five run, including an 8 0 run where they never had a field goal go through the basket. It's well, that's not true. No, Jim Braun did get the first. No, no. Oh, oh, it never actually went through the basket. Right. Yeah, never went through the basket. So it starts out with a play where Jalen Brown gets fouled by Kyle Lowry and Bam Adebayo simultaneously, well, close to simultaneously, blocks the shot with his right hand while grabbing the rim with his left. And they, the officials called this both a goaltend, which I believe is, I believe is correct. You know, you're holding the rim, you block the shot, like you can't do that. Most guys are unable to do it, but he can't do that. And then they also called it a technical foul for grasping the rim. So Jalen Brown, I mean, you never know if the shot could have gone. It, it wouldn't have been a goaltend were it not for the rim for the rim incident yeah he got, it looked to me like he got it clean in terms of the actual block and i don't think he even really autobio like used the rim to like pull or to hold his himself advantage. up i think he was just going across with two hands and his left hand just kind of hits the rim as he's trying to block it with the right hand uh so yeah technical and a goaltend and then there's also a foul just, on Lowry. just a quick thing on the bam thing he does grab the rim it's not even just like he grazes it like his hand wraps around it i don't yeah. think it was deliberate but it is what happened yeah, I mean, he didn't, like, pull down on it or anything enough to where, like, it, it was, I was convinced it was accidental. I mean, I, it's still a violation, obviously. It is what it is. But, yeah, so four-point play for Boston. And then... Then that's the crazy Horford yeah. turnover in the backcourt where he recovers for the block, um, which actually was the only trip in this sequence where Boston didn't score. It was the only, and yeah, they didn't even get it in the front court. Um, Then Gabe Vincent fouls Jalen Brown, makes those. Butler misses a layup. Martin fouls Tatum. And so that's the 8-0 run. So it goes from... 8382 to 9083. So the lead switches. And then it goes a little bit more back and forth, but that ends with a Marcus Smart and one that puts Boston up 10 with 456 left. So from 757 to 456, Boston goes on a 16-5 run that turns it from a one-point deficit to a 10-point lead. Yeah, and everything is still kind of running through Duncan Robinson in this period where very late clock, this is the one I was thinking of earlier, Marcus Smart overhelps on a Kyle Lowry thinking that there isn't enough time to make a pass to Robinson, who was his man and Kyle Lowry wasn't really in a threatening position he would have just taken a contested long two and he throws it to Robinson Robinson hits a three to cut it to four then Robinson cuts it to four again by this is an action we're seeing a lot more of these days where because when teams run a split cut action right it's two guys interacting usually one will split they'll one guy will go to the basket and then the other guy will pop out for like a three or something and so the way teams are kind of defending that is all right one guy who's defending the split cards will kind of take whoever goes towards the basket on the back cut and then the other guy will almost topside the guy coming off the screen so the counter to that is then you also send the the second guy back door and there's no help there because the first guy has to follow his man through on the back door and so that's how duncan robinson got a, another layup uh, from bam that was a nice action kings were running a lot of that in the warriors series too and i believe denver does it too and 
And then, oh yeah, for sure, with with Jokic. But of course, they're going at Duncan Robinson as well. And I mean, it's just incredible to me that Duncan Robinson somehow, he doesn't do anything to stop people, and yet he also still fouls. Shout out to Jordan Poole. Yeah, there's been a bunch of plays, in the, but Duncan Robinson actually has size, right? So like Jordan Poole, he's he's tiny, right? He's not going to impede people. But like Duncan Robinson, he'll try to do like, okay, the hey, arms up, I'm not following you. Except then he just like puts his arm forward and they go through his arm. He doesn't provide any resistance. And so they just score and get the end one. That's what Marcus Smart does on him. So 98-68, 456 left. Nobody scores. Or, oh, yeah, yeah, sorry. 98-88, thank you. Yeah, I'm uh, it's a little late here. So Martin finally misses a, a three-pointer. Tatum misses a three. Another Boston offensive rebound. And Missoula goes for a timeout with 410 left. He has two. It was like a two Yoli situation. He had two exactly. left going in. And so there's 12 on the shot clock. And I'm like, all right, yeah, good timeout. Missoula likes to he's now miss her timeout. And because, hey, if you're up 10, you get a bucket here with under four minutes to go and you go up 12. That should be game over. Although, of course, on the live show, we were referencing the collapse in last year's game seven where they almost blew a lead in the last three minutes that i think it basically would have been the worst collapse in nba history and of course jimmy had a three in the air to win it under 20 seconds to go and just missed it and then eric spolstra coming out of that timeout kind of knowing that they were going to have an ato set up he hasn't played a single possession of zone that i recall the entire game at that point maybe there were like one or two and he comes out in the zone and that's to prevent them from going after duncan robinson mostly kind of keep him more towards the baseline but more importantly, you're also allowing Bam to be closer to the basket then. Yeah, it, and, it's a very yeah. common thing in the NBA and in college to call to or not. It's not as common as it should be in college to call zone out of an ATO because it takes the team out of what they were going to run, probably, especially if you haven't done it, done it much in the game. And a big stat that was making the rounds after game five was. Celtics were 1.43 points per possession against the heat zone and they, they made some shots and they had just some better ideas to attack overall but when you're just so mentally tired at that point you're just trying to hold on remembering the stuff that you worked on coming in and maybe they were just like hey we figured this zone out we don't think they're gonna use it that much we don't need to refresh on it but they definitely looked like they didn't have a great plan of attack and of course they're taking their sweet time getting into their offense which is the case even before this uh, as well i mean tatum is just he's the absolute worst with that uh particularly when he's tired at the end of the game he just will not start his attack until there's like nine on the shot clock and ends up having to go to an isolation so Ends up working great. They do a bunch of switching. Smart has to force a three over Robinson right at the end of the clock. He misses. Bam pushes it all the way up. Butler cuts off of him. White uh, gets a foul on verticality. So you can you can throw that in at least with the 0 for 6. Jimmy 0 for 6 when guarded by White. Like he did get a foul on him at least one. That cuts it well, to 8. And, oh, yeah. actually, quick note just because it's one of the weird things about this game. There were two other times where Derek White stopped Jimmy Butler on drives, but the ball bounced off Derek White, including one that we never got a replay of, but I'm pretty sure just hit Derek White in the head when he wasn't even involved in the play anymore. Like he just hit him when he was kind of like out of bounds after the contest. It happened. Yeah, weird there stuff. was also the offensive foul on Butler 
with the elbow uh, on White, which was, I think I, I came down on the side of that being a good call. It was close, I think, because you do have to go up with it. Like, that's what Spo was saying, where he was, like, motioning, like, hey, he's got two hands on the ball. Where is he supposed to put the elbow? But the elbow was kind of, you know, it did catch White right in the face. Like, if that's his forearm or, or, or sorry, if it's, like, his upper arm or his shoulder, then it's probably a foul. The foul with the face by White, but this one wasn't. White was kind of in legal guarding position, I would say, when that contact occurs. Uh, like, Jimmy has the ability to go up or Ronda and he tries to jump into him instead so anyway Jalen Brown gets a nice go and catch against the zone finds Rob Williams on a pretty good pass but Bam is there he forces Rob to miss it it was interesting that Rob was in rather than Horford and so then Jimmy comes down and it's Rob guarding Jimmy Butler and Butler just decided like he was much more aggressive as a driver later in the game and particularly just going into the bodies of guys which you know that was kind of a a grifting foul but it was a foul on rob uh and we talk about jimmy all the time and how he's just attacking the shoulder of someone who's not in legal guarding position trying to stay in front of him so he misses one of the two free throws so still seven points at that point and i thought this was going to be one of the plays of the game where they're playing in the zone again white the, drives to the nail gets a floater misses it tatum gets inside position and he gets shoved in the back gabe vincent picks up the the foul kind of a a little bit of a flop by tatum where he just kind of like lets himself get pushed out of bounds but it it was after he landed it was it was a good call tatum makes both free was back to nine 304 left you're like okay they've, a minute's gone by here they've gotten to the foul line a couple times jimmy missed one tatum just made both they haven't necessarily done uh what they needed to do here yet and miami is still going pretty slowly here gabe vincent finally gets a drive against horford on the switch and vincent again not 100 percent and it missed a ton of laps wasn't he like you know although maybe this is better than the overall team he was like two of nine in the restricted area at some point like this little guard gabe vincent and but he scores on horford very late clock he gets a left-handed drive they don't help on that which i think was fine it was a tough layup cuts it to seven by the way vincent ended up three for ten in the restricted area (laughs) yeah so that was the last one now they try to get the ball to al horford in the middle of the zone but bam is there to pick him up and horford you know i called it on the broadcast i'm like all right he's going left shoulder here hook shot that's what he did missed it bam more good defense and this was the the crazy play that really got miami back in contact it's still a three possession game here after boston did basically use the whole shot clock again jimmy butler goes screen with duncan robinson as the ball handler slips out gets to the right side for three and hits like a ridiculous three without his feet even like fully facing the rim and that's that's the kind of shot where you're just like god why are you taking that but realistically down seven with that amount of time left you probably are going to need a three in there somewhere and that cuts it to four that makes it manageable then they try to get it to horford in the middle of the zone again tatum pops to the elbow right elbow drives and bam again has great verticality that was to me the biggest thing of why the zone worked was just that bam was there to protect the rim when he really hadn't been there a lot at at times when they were doing the amount of switching they were so great verticality by bam and butler i thought this was really just like incredible thought process for him the ability when you're tired to actually outthink guys is just so massive and butler has that ability so he's a on the right wing against smart who they they kind of i think they had smart as the primary matchup rather than tatum on him in a few of these possessions i think because they're just kind of they wanted smart to maybe be able to switch onto robinson or something like that he's like their best defensive communicator so bam is going to go set a screen and Butler says, no, no, you go screen over there. 
for Duncan Robinson near the top of the arc. So as Horford goes to do that, or, or sorry, as Bam, guarded by Horford, goes to do that, and he sort of like points over there, so I think Smart was kind of looking over there to see what was happening. Then Butler just attacks him immediately, blows by him. Horford, the, who would have been the help, is too worried about the screening action for Duncan Robinson. And so Butler gets all the way to the rim. Tatum was there, but he could he comes down with the arm. If, if he got vertical... <laughs> Maybe he would have been able to force a miss, but uh, well, instead he fouls him. Fouls him, and then it ends up being what could have been an even larger sequence in kind of the arc of everything because Butler splits the free throws, but he splits the free throws, missing the second. Caleb Martin sneaks in, gets the rebound, and they get it immediately to Duncan Robinson, wide open, wide open three, because Jason Tatum, that was that the one where he leaked out, or was that a different one? Um, Somebody who so, had, had was way down at the other end and never got back into it i don't i, I think it was Tatum. i guess um but but yeah i mean robinson is there on the right wing he had so much time he was able to like dribble and reset his feet and he clearly uh just kind of it, it wasn't really that close of a miss honestly uh you could tell he he could feel because that would have been for the tie was it was for the tie and then smart gets a gets a good rebound there you could guess what happens next boston dribbles the air out of the ball and then tatum misses a three it does go in and out though on, on the right wing this is not against the zone because the, it's actually technically off a miss i think miami could have still they, it would have been possible to get back into the zone but generally off a miss you don't go zone so they're they're on the same page but they're able to attack duncan robinson again that gets tatum this open three rims out and then jalen brown gets inside position on robinson and his tip barely misses also as robinson shoves him in the back but uh brown only makes one or two free throws uh, again to put him up four with 101 left jalen brown misses that free throw uh the second so he splits those two they're up four and jimmy butler you know you know it's a missed free throw he gets the ball and gets a gets a big and one i'm trying to remember what was significant about that play well so they had robinson oh yeah set a ghost screen for him and, and slip out of it and so smart is on i think or maybe they went did they go back to tatum at that point let me see if i have it yeah it is still smart tatum doesn't switch onto him smart thinks he's going to but when you slip out of it it's that can cause miscommunication so butler just has no one in front of him because they're so worried about duncan robinson again and butler just drives to the basket horford comes over and just commits a terrible foul like he should have either just really fouled him hard that would have been my approach there because you just you don't want to give up a three in that situation when you're up four it's just so important to not do that but butler just comes right down again just going quickly is such an advantage in these circumstances too so he does make the n1 there cuts it to 101 100 and this next way i'm gonna actually re-watch it right now because we didn't get a chance to really see it that well on our broadcast because the it got like slightly laggy during that so there's 53 left when butler scores they're playing against the zone again butler reaches in on tatum tatum goes into gabe vincent misses it somehow gets it back and bam just blocks it and so now boston is scrambling to get back bam pushes it up jalen brown takes the ball al horford is like nah how about you get duncan robinson instead and duncan robinson is wide open on the left wing another one could have given him the lead and he just missed it again same way just long not really that close smart rebound two free throw attempts up one 
and then Smart misses the first of those two free throws. And so then you know that it's going to be like a two will at least tie it. Smart does make the second. So it is a a two point lead. And then you get into a question there of do you want to use a timeout that would allow theoretically Boston to get their personnel. But the passage of time when you're down a bucket matters because if you can, the, the more time is left after you take your first shot, theoretically, if you miss it, then you can either get a rebound or you could foul again and and keep playing that game. But Spolstra and, and I generally I agree with this. There have been a lot of discussions about this during these playoffs, including with the Bucks. I think that you wait to call the timeout unless and until things stagnate. But things did stagnate and Miami ends up getting, yeah, I'll call it bailed out by that call. My thought on not calling the timeout, it's after a free throw, so you're probably not necessarily going to get some advantage of surprise. They've already had a chance to make any subs that they would want to, which they weren't going to anyway. They had their starting lineup out there, which they considered their best defensive group against this Miami group. But the thought of not using the timeout, because he only had one left, right? Because he had to use three in the third quarter. One of them was on the challenge, which he actually got back. That would have left him with zero timeouts down the end, which is crazy after that third quarter that Spo in the end actually left this game with a timeout in his pocket to bring home yes. with him. But the thought that I had was, okay, push it up quick. You're only down two. You could try to score. If you can't score, then you can play the foul game again and get another chance at it. And as it turns out, Butler sees Tatum on him, just kind of walks it up. And it didn't seem like they had a great idea of like what the play call was, what they wanted to do. They bring Horford into it. Horford switches on to Butler. But by the time this attack has happened, you're at eight seconds left, seven seconds left with Horford switching on to Butler. Tatum retreats. And Butler just like dribbles to his right along the arc. They kind of do like a a tiny little like attempt at a ghost screen by Robinson, but the Celtics communicate well. They don't switch it. Butler is now dribbling into the corner with nobody. Like he's got another guy there and Vincent. Braun is there. Vincent, like smart move by Vincent actually to cut through because otherwise Butler would have just been running into someone else. Vincent's actually like out of bounds cutting through. <laughs> so he doesn't run into Butler's path. And then you could tell Jimmy was like getting ready to go to the step back in the corner for the win at that point. It was the only way he could have gotten a shot off and just a terrible foul by Al Horford. But there's so much controversy in this play really both ways. It was a very hard play to parse at first and in some ways became even weirder to parse later on because what happened was at like you were kind of in the initial contact with Butler and like the ball kind of pops up. The idea was maybe like Horford tips the ball out from Butler and then he recovers it. And in that recovery, he actually moves behind the line. It would have been theoretically if they had called the initial whatever, if they had called a foul there, it would have been a two shot. It would have been two shots. And then instead it ends up being three. But then there's the question in terms of how the ball actually got loose. Yeah, so we can hit that first. I went back and looked at it. It was definitely Butler puts two hands on the ball. Horford is jostling him, but he does not hit the ball. Unfortunately, there's really no way for the referee to make that call. Like there's just isn't a referee in position to see it because I think it's Tiven is the sideline official. He's blocked by Butler's body. He can't tell whether Butler has even touched the ball with two hands, much less whether Horford knocked it away. Then the baseline official, he can't see anything either because Brown and Vincent are both cutting, moving along the baseline 
blocking his view. So you really can't see the double dribble. And then, but what you can't see is Al Horford following him at least three different ways <laughs> on, on this play. It was, you know, you notice live the hand on the back. He's bumping him with the body and Jimmy was like going to go for the step back. And then he felt Horford. Uh, oh, no, it was actually four different ways. So he's got his hand on his back. He also like reached in and hits him in the stomach at one point. Uh, Jimmy is like looking to step back, but then he fumbled it. And then he realized that Horford was just like so into him that he could just kind of jump and and get him to commit a foul. So Horford also gets him with his sh- with his shoulder and the body. And then he also has his arm forward and there's contact on the arm. So he fought him literally four different ways. It was, it was just pretty incredible to give up a three-shot foul that severely in that situation when you're up two as well i know he was worried about him like hitting the step back but you just i realize that jimmy butler i know he's a fucking legend but you just you have to just live with being straight up a great contest show your hands in that situation clearly the greater danger is jimmy butler drawing a foul as opposed to hitting an impossible fading step back three in the corner even accounting for the fact that he just hit one two minutes ago it's also so late in the game that if that shot doesn't go in it's probably over yeah because the foul occurred it was they originally marked it at 2.7 then they moved it up on the no it was was 2.1 actually 2.1 yeah and uh well well, let's get to that too in a second here because there's one other thing i want to hit first sure the there was a challenge by missoula as best i can tell the double dribble was would not have been reviewable there is a provision for reviewing the following if an instant replay review of a a called foul is triggered by a challenge which this was they will evaluate whether the foul occurred prior to the offensive player beginning his shooting motion which okay it was not in in that as far as i could tell and it ended up being a three-shot foul course and then the other thing is you can look at whether a made basket that counted shall not count because an offensive player committed a violation after the offensive player gathered the ball now it wasn't a made bucket as far as i can tell so basically what this is supposed to be is okay you foul the guy and now he takes 97 steps never puts the ball down and lays it in okay you got it like yeah it's technically continuation but if travel is committed so we're not going to count the that's what that's for so there isn't as far as i can tell a way that they could have gone back and said no he committed a double dribble we're gonna make this a double dribble now it's a turnover uh so unfortunately there was no way to look at that then of course there's the fact that his foot was actually behind the line it was three shots we didn't know that was the case going into the commercial but that would have been reviewed anyway they would have looked at that yes. regardless of whether missoula challenged. so it wasn't like it was missoula's fault that it got changed with three they would have looked at that anyway and then there was the time aspect where they move it from 2.1 to 3.0 a lot of people have been kind of going through and zapruding this of like okay like look at 3.0 he's just maybe gathering the ball how like he hasn't begun his upward motion yet so how could it be a shooting foul but it's also at 3.0 like if you're going to call it a shooting foul he hasn't started shooting yet so the foul must have taken place three tenths of a second later i mean if you are going to go back and review these things you probably should get it right i think i i'd agree with that 3.0 is maybe a little too much time i'd like to know has they done a pool report for this game i haven't seen it but i also haven't been looking let me see yeah i don't think there was a pool report which is interesting to me i would have liked to have known why it was that they said 3.0 this will be an interesting last two minute report so still jimmy butler three free throws down to basically the hardest situation you're ever gonna be in makes all three of them never a doubt timeout celtics 
three seconds on the clock. Part of the fun of calling these games live is that we game we game these situations out and being down one with three seconds to go, you're typically going to have a play that has multiple options, but they have to be really quick hitters because you don't really have enough time for like a dribble and a pat. Like you, you, you don't have a ton. And so like I had posited the idea of a screen where you don't make contact because that gives you a basket element and then your primary like jump shot option is going to be Tatum. He can get a lot of air on his release. His jumper is better than some of the other options. And they didn't have anything that was going to the basket and Tatum wasn't open either. So Eric Spolstra, it's like his philosophy i would say maybe more than any other coach is we are not going to let you do the number one thing that you want to do and so the way that that manifested itself in this particular circumstance they don't actually even set a screen for tatum because they know that they're switching and i guess tatum he was having butler on him uh, i think he was you know jimmy probably asked to guard tatum but having butler on him he'd actually cook butler maybe he felt good about that but what they did is Struess is guarding the inbounder who's white three seconds left and Struess actually is has his back to white and he's going to deny jason tatum maybe they could have got it into him still but if tatum would have been part of the reason for this is, that you do that is not even necessarily to deny the pass but you just force him to go further out on the floor you want him to catch the ball going away from the rim not on the move towards the basket that in addition to denying the pass that's why you try that strategy of course the danger and stan van Gundy pointed this out was okay then you maybe leave the inbounder open and he was open uh smart breaks to the ball he actually comes off a screen they had bam guarding jalen brown because that was the other guy they were worried about they wanted their two best defenders involved that he did and so smart has to break to the ball and smart actually probably had a pass back to Derek white although struce was like busting his butt to get back into the play and smart then he just turns and fires the three as this is happening there's maybe like 1.7 left as the ball is leaving his hands and white just goes to the basket and struce was kind of more worried about the pass to white so he's not trying to get back between him and so then struce follows him but white has inside position there meanwhile tatum is also crashing in from the top the thing that'll always be forgotten is how close smart shot actually went to going in sure that it would have been a ridiculous shot by him and he was he was so good in this game with like some of those like little post-ups upper paint fadeaways and stuff but we always say like hey everyone should crash in these situations Jalen brown didn't he just kind of stood there at the free throw line and bam decided to just box him out which is good fundamentals Jalen brown is a pretty good offensive rebound he just got one earlier but then it would have been a better idea in that circumstance for him to just crash on his own if he could have even gotten the slightest hand on on it the game would have been over and the ball goes in and out white is there tatum probably could have gotten a tip if it had bounced off the other way he does a good job of actually not crashing into white and like screwing up his tip and white just like somehow got it off did you think it was good in real time no i did not i thought it was late i i thought it was like as close as could possibly be but i did like i thought that he got it in real time it's so hard to tell on those i knew it was going to be incredibly close and it was clear that there was going to be a game seven as soon as we saw the replay and so i mean that this play will go down in nba history as one of the classics was this is one of the classic games and just the all the yo-yoing back and forth and like miami coming back on them at home just like they did in the game seven last year and boston almost blowing it again and then white bailing them out The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. 
The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. So, now what? (laughs) There's another game to play. This series is not over yet. Nate, I feel pretty confident that the answer to that is nobody can know for certain. (laughs) Because when you consider how many games between the series of these two teams recently have been won by the road team and how many games have felt sealed and were not, in fact, sealed this one, you know, like it it could be hilarious. We could be doing a we could be doing a playback on this where there's like one team, whichever one it is, is ahead by 10 with two minutes left. And we just won't let it go. Like We'll just be like, okay, what what crazy stuff is going to happen now? And one of the, a couple of the other things I want to bring up in terms of like you see where things go is that a couple of the different areas of success that Boston had in the first two games that they come back largely evaporated in game six. The most notable of those was forcing turnovers. Boston only forced five turnovers. Four of them were live ball. And so Boston, the the points off turnovers, which again is a little bit funky, that was only 11 to six, even though they only forced five turnovers compared to the 12 that Miami forced. So that was really different. You can get into the like, which which of the shooting anomalies really sticks out. So that's Miami 14 to 30 from three, Boston seven of 35 from three, or Miami shooting the final numbers on it. They were five of 20 on second chance points and 16 of 52 in the paint so who the hell knows yeah it feels so weird after just how incredibly intense those last few games were to go back to say well okay now who had the better shooting luck in this game and which of these trends will continue but uh, we have to do it and boston shot incredibly poorly i mean this was one of those rest of team games did anybody ever hit a three for them outside of white and smart no white and smart were a combined <laughs> seven of 18 rest of team O of 17 and like tatum clearly kind of ran out of gas you would think butler didn't look like he had the level of explosion particularly to like get to a spot and rise up on, on some of those floaters he was short on a lot of those mid-rangers and some guys will say even that paradoxically it makes more sense to drive when you're tired than to shoot a jumper because when you drive you kind of have no choice but to put your full legs into it uh and you know that's kind of what butler did down the end you know i think boston they have to come in with the mindset of not that we just saved the series they need to think like we survived and now we get to play another game like, that needs to be and, the feeling and how and how narrow their margins for error are because even if they're ahead by double digits with five minutes to go it's not even close to over <laughs> yeah, that's right they need to lead by 25 with five minutes left to feel feel yeah, good and, about it and we didn't i didn't mention this in terms of like the basic like the anomalies like jimmy butler five of 21 from the field bam four of 16 from the field where they combined for four three point for four three-point attempts like this was this was a 
paint shooting problem for them overall. Yeah. Now you could say that that was though a lot of those are isolation plays where they mm-hmm. didn't have their legs. They're well defended. Like that's not they weren't just missing these in an empty gym. You know, the, whereas threes can be like that a little bit more. Yeah, Miami has to force more turnovers in this next game than they did. Uh, and Boston to be commended that they only turned it over. Or, or I'm sorry, Boston has to force more turnovers. Miami only turned it over five times. That's how they survived in part this terrible shooting. But that's you know Miami has to continue to win the turnover battle. Yeah. I would by, say they by, they got to the get transition. Miami yeah. shot 35 percent from the field. Yeah. <laughs> so I think there are just a lot of things that were weird about this game, like we talked about in the open, even. And to say which of those are continue are some of these are things that just vary from game to game some the history of game seven though is that teams don't necessarily shoot well unless it just becomes like a a avalanche style of blowout in the first half it's it is hard to imagine miami just getting blown out though it really is like they they got blown out in one game in this series in game five and and boston jumped on them right away i particularly think it's important for miami to get off to a good start that's always the case in a road game seven so you just you don't just get the avalanche coming on you and miami presumably is going to start this same lineup again Lowry, I thought, played well enough to just to give them another option, which was important. They're going to have Gabe Vincent, which, of course, they didn't in game five, which is big. He might be able to do more in this game. He at least had some time off, so maybe the rest of his body is feeling okay. Lowry was at least playable. But who's going to have the energy between Tatum, Butler, and to maybe to a lesser extent, Bam, is a huge question also. And then the Duncan Robinson thing, like the strategic fulcrum that he is on both sides like boston has to clean up their communication on some of the plays involving him having him out there i mean he just i think he's just a smarter it's not even that he's even that much better of a shot taker and maker than Struce is it's just that he's got that really good chemistry with bam and with butler he's just a better off ball mover and screener gets the more of the back doors than Struce does of course Struce actually they'll, they'll switch him on to tatum and they don't care it's fine like he's done a totally good job in the series doing that whereas robinson is just a disaster on defense in any individual matchup particularly because of the fouling so boston if he's gonna play a lot they gotta figure out a way to clean up what they're doing on these ghost screens what they're doing on these split actions and yeah i think that you gotta kind of play them more I, i think you really you need to play two contact on those and only switch them when it's that or maybe you you sometimes you maybe even don't switch maybe you just are like all right duncan robinson like we don't fear you like that much like let's see if you're gonna get hot making some of these shots like he did he can, can get hot but he also will miss sometimes like I, you can that also gives you a chance to throw some different looks up uh they'll have the crowd at their back so they should be able, that should hopefully force them to play harder and then defensively they duncan robinson only played 20 minutes in this game but uh boston of course is going to go at him pretty mercilessly if i'm boston i would actually try to do that more through the likes of white and smart rather than tatum and and brown because both those guys uh, smart i kind of like too because if you double team him he'll he's a good passer and he'll draw fouls he's physical you got that and one on, on robinson late and also just because it lets you rest jason tatum like okay maybe at the end of the game it's tatum trying to go at him but i also like that smart he's just not gonna fuck around in these isolation situations like he's not gonna go to like a step back he'll just like go right through duncan robinson and like either get in the lane and force help or he'll go up to the shot and maybe get fouled and same thing with white i would love to even go with jason tatum setting the screen 
for either smart or white when robinson is on them they're not going to want to switch that so that and robinson is surely not getting through that screen so you can get those guys coming downhill there's but then of course miami will go to the zone and so boston's got to get back to figuring out a way to attack that but they have miami will have better personnel to do that playing martin more having vincent back now not having to deal with like love or zeller and then resting bam right like zeller has just gotten smoked so nate that's a question i have for you yeah how many players play a hundred percent of the competitive portion of game seven yeah i wonder if it almost becomes easier to do after you've done it <laughs> after <laughs> you just did it in this game i feel like it's going to be tatum butler and bam that do well i think it also depends if one of the if one of the teams has like a seven or a seven point lead at the start of the second and the start of the fourth then maybe you see that team trying to get a, a little bit of a rest but yeah i mean boston is younger Miami's in unbelievable shape. How much Rob are we going to see? They didn't really do any Horford and Rob together. I think they're not really going to do much of that this time either. There isn't really anywhere for Rob to guard. Like that, what they actually did is they put Rob on Bam because if you put Rob on Caleb Martin, then he's been shooting the lights out. But you know, they so they need to get some minutes for Rob, but he's probably going to guard Bam mostly. And that was another thing that I think Miami really should wear out even more is when Rob's in the game, just more screening actions for shooters using whoever Rob is guarding because he really doesn't want to get out on those plays. So that would, that's a good chance for them to get some open threes for Struess or Vincent or, or Robinson. But I think doing that off the ball is better on the ball. Like the Celtics are switching that usually. So have it be off the ball because that's really not what they want to do. I think that's about all I got here, though. Uh, anything else that's sticking out to you before we wrap up? That's all I had. Okay. Well, join us on Playback. Hopefully you were excited by our call of the, the last few minutes that was on the front of this. And it's really fun to do. And hopefully you get a, a sense of what that's like to join us. Uh, playback.tv slash Nate Duncan NBA. International viewers, you can just sign in with International League Pass. You can watch it in the same window with us. If you are a domestic viewer, there are, shall we say, workarounds that if you just sign in with your cable provider like you were doing before and you have something that might indicate that maybe you live somewhere that you do not, then it should work as normal as well. It's really easier than trying to sync up anyway. So uh, this is going to be a great, great game. I hope it gets to be close down the end again that it's not not a blowout but it, i mean either way it'll be an unbelievable story and i mean just to see i mean it's the we've first, ar- we already have history we do yeah the first uh team with home court advantage to go down three zero and come back and now and host the, the game and host the game seven because that's the other part of this is yeah, now you get yeah. a home game seven yeah which uh but if the last two years have told us anything is that home court advantage means less between these two teams than any other boston now by the way this is pretty incredible over the last two years boston is eight and one now when facing elimination the only time they lost was game six to the warriors last year at home so well, we it's to, pretty yeah yeah no good i I'm just saying it's pretty hilarious that a team is like kind of viewed as being chokers also has this unbelievable record in elimination games it's just like if you ever just go back to it that whatever narrative or theories you want to come up with like some people are clutch some teams are clutch some players are whatever you want to say some coaches how do you square that that these guys blow leads all the time and yet you get a play like Derek white made it at the end of the game like it's just you can't come up with anything other than just to watch it happen and enjoy it and that's what oh, we're gonna do well, on monday we, we can end this section of the podcast with a wonderful stat from espn stats and info Derek white is the second player in the history of the nba to make a game-winning buzzer beater when his team trailed prior to the shot and was facing elimination wait hold on can i think of the other one? Oh no i know the other one michael jordan yep 
in uh, Game Five, nineteen eighty nine against the yep. Caps. That's pretty awesome. That's amazing. The second the second time that's ever happened. I mean, but like true buzzer beaters are pretty rare too. I mean, they're and, probably and shots to, in the last and lost to win buzzer beaters are hard to pull off too. Yeah, to just be down one. Yeah, and and you're trying to go early. Yeah, to open up the chance for an offensive rebound, which they did. I I guess let's hit some of this coaching news real quick here. Yeah, the Milwaukee Bucks have a new head coach. They do, and it is Adrian Griffin, who notably he's been a, a you know former player, prominent college player, also played in the pros, um, has been on an assistant coach for a number of teams, including most recently on Nick Nurse's bench, and he was competing ostensibly with nurse for the bucks job and as is the case with basically every assistant coach who gets a, their first time job first of all congratulations to mr griffin second of all we don't really have a lot to evaluate it um i have heard at times praise for griffin and it seems like players like him and being a former player could do that but we don't know his coaching identity just yet and as Seth Partnow brought up on Twitter today, like there's also the point that there's so little of what a coach does, like the whole organization element that's even public facing. So there's there's that part of it, too. But choosing Griffin over their other finalists and theoretically over people who were not their finalists is significant. So is Nurse and Kenny Atkinson were the three finalists? I believe so, yes. And all three finalists were invited to meet with Bucks ownership this week in Wisconsin. And they also met with one Giannis Anacupo at his home near Milwaukee. And according to Chris Haynes, Adrian Griffin was Giannis's choice, which uh, matters a lot considering that Giannis is extension eligible here and this uh, Milwaukee team could be approaching an inflection point. Also noteworthy as well that Chris Middleton apparently was the piece by Eric name and Shams said Middleton was invited to meet with them. I'm not sure whether that meant he actually did, but that might indicate at least that uh, people are viewing Chris Middleton as a fair bet to return in Milwaukee and Adrian Griffin. You can take away. He learned under Nick nurse. So there's some creativity. You'd imagine he'll be a little bit quicker to adjust than bud. And if you can add that to the systems that Bud, of course, has already put in place, that could, in theory, be very powerful. But like you said, we don't know much more about Adrian Griffin. He had a playing career uh, under Scott Skiles, which, in fact, uh, transitioned into a coaching career back in 2008. He was also a he was Keith Bogans before there was a Keith Bogans for the Bulls, but under Skiles when he was playing there. And he's really been going through the NBA coaching interview cycle, it seems, for like for years now. And I remember him being talked about as a possibility going back probably like six, seven years ago, uh, even. And I think we've seen a lot of guys who have gone through that, that are qualified enough and have enough reviews to be in these processes year after year it usually seems like they actually turn out okay just i I can't really go through that and tell you that that's just my the impression that i have in my mind but it is surprising isn't it danny that they are not going with someone who has a record previously as an nba head coach i continue to be surprised that money williams was such a seems like such a small factor in their conversation i mean williams to me because you don't need a coach with like defensive creativity because you already have all that figured out i think i you know and there are lots of reasons why things could be in place and we will get to evaluate griffin on his own merits um over the course of the next few years there was also reporting that nick nurse pulled out but that is always leading to some skepticism when you hear something like that in a coach or gm search 
And my best guess is that means he wasn't going to get the job anyway. Maybe he bombed his interview with Giannis. Maybe they couldn't come to an agreement on the financials. Maybe they just he got out interviewed by his former assistant Adrian Griffin and of course the you would imagine the Bucks have a lot of respect for Toronto after Toronto eliminated them in 2019 so I think we'll kind of know the answer if Nurse ends up getting the Philly job or the Phoenix job which I consider superior jobs John and I talked about that I think I, I don't know if he was in full agreement with me but I I would if I were a coach I think I would rather have either of those two jobs although I guess the nice thing about Milwaukee is like you don't have to deal with like you know potentially James Harden in Philly but I think Philly and Phoenix might have longer windows than Milwaukee so I I would go I think I would go Phoenix Milwaukee Philly personally okay but yeah if Nurse doesn't get either of those two jobs I think you're kind of like eh, this only pulled out uh of his own volition oh, he's it's he's a, probably but, not like, getting the Boston job now <laughs> <laughs> Toronto needs a coach. That that joke's never going to get old. <laughs> that they should just rehire Nurse. <laughs> ah, the sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love, all at once. Starting at $40 a month, experience it all live with Sling. Sling. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Speaking of hirings, is it a new day in, uh, maybe not Baltimore, but close to Baltimore in Washington? The former Baltimore Bullets hired a new lead decision maker. I don't know if we've heard the official title, not that it necessarily matters. For uh, I think he is going to be president of Monumental Basketball. Okay. Uh, so he will be hiring kind of a day-to-day GM, which is expected to happen in the next two weeks. Uh, I read articles by both David Aldridge and Josh Robbins on this. I can't remember who it was who who said that. But so again, like my so the person who gets job, Michael Winger, well regarded among people who have never had the opportunity to make the lead decision maker. And I always use that terminology because like you know, title inflation can lead to complications here. And but yeah, Winger, I I don't have a personal relationship, but it seems like a lot of people think very highly of him. Has been a voice in the room on in some pretty good situations, which is, which is always, you know, like how much credit does he deserve for that? So like he was director of, he was uh, involved with the Cavs when Danny Ferry was there. And then he worked with the Thunder when they like when they uh, had their run. And then um, and then he went to the Clippers in 2017. They signed Kawhi and Paul George in 2019. But again, he wasn't the lead decision maker in any of those three places. He was involved. He was a voice in the room. Yeah. Now, I would have considered him just based on what I've heard about him, the places that he's worked, the things that you see that characterize the organizations that he has worked in. And particularly because you don't necessarily think like Lawrence Frank is kind of more like a scouting guy. Michael Winger is very much like he 
cut his teeth as a salary cap guy and maybe from an analytics standpoint too but he is from everything you hear very big on the organization very big on the process and i you know i don't know that that was lawrence frank you know kind of moved in to be an executive working with with doc rivers but as the clippers have built things out under steve Ballmer and become an organization that insiders view as one of the best that feels like something that he has had a lot of fingerprints on and uh, you know same thing coming from oklahoma city where he was he was kind of the more analytics cap guy organizational guy troy weaver was the more the scouting guy under sam presti there but the to me he's again you never know what a guy is going to be until he really has the top job but he is one of the most qualified guys he's been in the mix for many other openings over the years and and even seems like he's he's actually said or it's been reported that he's pulled out of a few over the years i can't remember which ones those were but i consider this a good gap but by ted leonsis this actually is very encouraging to me if i'm a wizards fan as is and I think I, it doesn't surprise me that this is the case because, you know, we've seen Michael Winger has seen what they've done in OKC and then with the Clippers as well. I remember the Clippers, I think it was shortly after he gets there, they trade, they resign and then they trade away Blake Griffin in a maybe one of the more analogous situations to what this Wizards franchise is facing with Bradley Beal except for the no trade clause which the Clippers avoided giving Blake Griffin interestingly Winger was reported as supposedly being someone who pushed back on the idea of including quite as much as they did to OKC in the Paul George deal Uh, obviously he got overruled there but he's known as someone who's willing to make those contrarian statements now he's going to be the one running things but he clearly has a mandate here you get the feeling that he is enough in demand that he wouldn't have taken this job unless he had a mandate and that officially is reported as this is exactly what david aldridge said the green light to do whatever is necessary including be still my beating heart a total rebuild it does winger make can you do what, it does yeah. make you wish that winger had had the job a couple months ago <laughs> uh winger can do whatever he wants with the existing roster aldridge predicting that a significant roster shakeup is in the offing and he also said according to a source leonsis wanted someone who'd take big swings in a big market which uh, of course winger has been in la the last few years and they've he's had relationships with the game's top agents and agencies and winger has assurances that Le- leonsis will go into the tax if necessary down the road which he has paid i think on a couple of occasions here uh this is also critical here danny Daniel Medina, the chief of athlete care and performance, who remember used to report directly to Leontes, uh, will now report to Winger. So uh, the the tripartite relationship of Tommy Shepard, Daniel Medina, and Sashi Brown, who left to go to the Baltimore Raisins in 2022, uh, RIP on that. So let me ask you this. How do you think this changes this immediate Wizards offseason? I think it is... Not news that Kristaps Porzingis and Kyle Kuzma necessarily want to hear because we've discussed how in our free agency preview that both of those gentlemen have more internal than external leverage, particularly in some ways Porzingis, because there just aren't that many teams with the amount of space and there isn't as much positional versatility or anything like that. The challenge for the Wizards is... Unless Bradley Beal is willing to waive his no trade, this is kind of a hard boat to turn around. And along those lines, I, while I fully support it, I hate the treadmill mediocrity is my least favorite thing. They'll basically kind of have to take this down to the studs in order to build the foundation back unless you draft really well in the like 
mid to late lottery because they don't have the young players. I mean, I, I'm more of, I, at times I've been more of a Denny Optia supporter than most, but not a Johnny Davis supporter, Kispert, potentially interesting. So that means you're looking for, if it's not now, your best, second best, and probably third best players of the next great Wizards team being guys that are not yet on your roster. I certainly you think about what might be out there for Bradley Beal and the possibility of making a trade there and you at least would bring it up with him at this point in time I don't think though it should change the strategy because of just where they are right now like yeah it would have been great to move Porzingis and Kuzma at the deadline or to have traded Beal at any of the myriad times they could have traded him but at where they are right now I think it would be foolish to just lose Porzingis and Kuzma for nothing with the way the league is right now like those are good players teams are trying to get a lot better just re-signing those guys hopefully I mean obviously if it gets to be okay Kristaps Porzingis wants a five-year max all right okay I guess we'll just let you go then that might not be tradable uh or you know Kuzma it's going to be 30 million a year for him like all right if it's just like a contract that's so bad that you're just like man we're just this is not gonna be tradable but I think you you try to re-sign those guys for the cheapest you can might still seem like a little bit of an overpay but like as long as guys can play they're usually going to be tradable for at least something particularly early in their contracts and then you just you know try to make the team as good as you can make some other signings whatever don't trade future picks they're encumbered in terms of that anyway uh, because they have that pick out there from the Westbrook trade and then if it's if you're just like on the same path to mediocrity just like last year then you move those guys at the deadline and you get something for them uh, and now there's always the chance that yeah, maybe Porzingis just gets hurt again or something or you know, I, I would probably be load managing those guys pretty hard but uh, that that would be my approach and and we'll you know we I guess we'll talk more about their offseason I kind of just got a little bit of a, a little bit too far on that but uh a couple other small things unless you got anything else there no i don't think that i do we may be seeing in-game flopping penalties per shots the nba's competition committee is in serious discussions on awarding teams a second and final challenge as well if the first challenge is ruled successful so both of the that's from chris haynes so it looks like both these are going to get tested maybe in summer league but yeah they could an in-game flopping penalty now i'm of a little dubious about this because they just don't like the flops that they used to find people for were just like these ones where you would just like act like there was a sniper in the second deck and when you just barely got touched the ones where it's like okay you're just gonna get knocked down in uh in the post or something when you clearly uh, you know maybe there was some contact but you totally accentuated it i I think it's only gonna have an effect on the most ridiculously egregious and maybe a little bit of a deterrent effect on like you know, if it's going to rule out the 99th percentile, maybe it'll have a deterrent effect up to the 95th percentile in terms of ridiculous flops. But I don't expect it to have that great of a, a deal. This is kind of maybe even just more PR to just like, oh, the NBA has a flopping problem. Okay, we're going to deal with it. They have it in college right now, right? I'm not 100% on that. I, I mean, I not that I'm ever going to watch college basketball, but maybe, uh, maybe I'll look into that a little bit more. A couple other things. LeBron is still going to undergo further evaluations, probably MRI. But if he does have that surgery on his foot tendon looks like sidelining him for two months would be the timeline dave mcmenamin said on zach lowe's podcast that if lebron had had the surgery at the time of the injury they were talking about him like maybe being back for the playoffs so that would have been a, a two month or so timeline and then in charlotte uh jeremy Wu and jonathan gavoni reporting as they discussed the second pick that the hornets ownership situation is currently in flux it, it jordan indeed was waiting to see whether they got Wimbenyama before deciding whether to pursue the sale, they got number two, of course. 
and we'll see how that effect like would jordan have like wanted to sell more if he got one being out because we got more money or would he have not wanted to sell because they actually would have been good for once or who knows what his thinking on that would have been but uh gabe plotkin and rick schnall are still the ones who uh, are rumored to be taking over but it doesn't seem like jordan has gone through the process of just like really putting it up there and getting bitters like the uh plotkin is a minority owner of the hornets schnall is a hawks minority owner at least then you you don't have to really vet them because they're already vetted as owners okay we are done here and i think we'll probably be back on monday for a huge game seven can't wait at bet 365 we don't do ordinary we believe that every sport should be epic every basket every game every point every play from the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line whatever the sport whatever the moment it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. 